Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the JWB Dynasty Digest, where we give you a consumable dynasty perspective. I'm about to roll that intro. While we do, if you could take a second, like and subscribe. We're trying to get to 2,500 subscribers here on the channel. So while I roll this intro, you go ahead and get that done. Welcome. You're listening to JWB Fantasy Football. Thanks for listening. Now, as always, I've got a guest in here for us, and I've got a good one here for you all this week, Jacob Sanderson. Jacob, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. Always always fun to do a show during a primetime football game, uh, yeah, and especially during a Jimmy G football game. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Now, uh, before we get into the football talk, I think we need to talk about the most important thing. What about the Leafs this year? Is is it the is this the year for the <laughs> Leafs? Are the Leafs going to win it? <laughs> uh, you know what? I mean, we'll see. Like, in a sense, I feel like this is one of the this is kind of the best window they've ever had in the Atlantic, just based on all the other teams. Like, you know, Boston and Tampa. At least their roster. We'll see what happens early in the season, but their roster to me is taking a step back. Um, and some of those other teams on the rise, maybe not all the way there yet. That being said, I don't really love what I've seen out of the Leafs. I mean, the record's fine. Five, two, and one's good. I just, they obviously sacrificed, you know, all around versatility for pure offense this season with some of their moves. It's basically, you know, bunting, Kerfoot, and, um, oh my God. A lot of stuff is Jameson Williams' fault that happens to him, but that one wasn't. <laughs> he just gave him on a reverse, and he just got, like, annihilated the second he got it, like, seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like, that felt oh, like sick. a punishment. <laughs> like, uh, Craig Reynolds was supposed to chip Max Crosby and didn't, and so Max Crosby was just, like, waiting seven yards behind the line of scrimmage to just, like, eat Jameson alive. <laughs> oh, Classic. that was unfortunate. Anyway, um, yeah, I think so – We'll see. The Bertuzzi Domi Klingberg for like Hall Buntinker foot's not like my taste of what I like in hockey players. Um, and I think the issue is now we basically only have the top line that we can play in the defensive zone starts. Uh, and I don't love that, but you know, they'll be fun. They'll, they'll, they play fun brand of hockey. What do you think? Yep. No, I feel similarly, to be honest with you. Like Klingberg, especially, I don't know what that signing was. There was a thousand other guys like i thought eric gustafson they could have just held on to and he's basically the same player for all intents and purposes in my mind he so. is the same player yeah yeah like, we got toronto dave uh, we got toronto dave in the chat already two of my absolute favorites right here he says and he did provide the correct spelling of favorites as well you love to love see that. it all right we better get into this uh we have to talk first off about will levis who is apparently the best Incredible. quarterback on the planet um yeah i'll just toss it to you straight away i feel like i'll i'll phrase it this way i'll put it to you this way i feel like if you are going to make a move on a player um based on one game you should do it after one game you shouldn't wait for the second game because by that point all the value is gone out of the proposition so are you making any moves based on this one game and which way are you headed yeah, I mean, I agree to it to the extent that you, you certainly can't rely on the coming back to Earth game. You know, maybe it happens. I think there's actually a pretty decent shot it happens just based on uh, Pittsburgh's front and Tennessee's O-line and short week, etc. But uh, yeah, I think 
Will Levis, look, I didn't like him as a prospect. No, I mean, nobody who really is numbers focused li- liked him as a prospect, but the tools were really fun. Um, and so I, I was certainly like intrigued by him as a prospect, especially from an, a real football point of view. And we already know like scouting quarterback, we're not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, like I see a guy go out there and do that in his first start, that matters to me more than the prospect profile. So, um, I'm absolutely excited about Will Levis. I've been trying to buy Will Levis um, today and kind of seeing where it goes. My hope, I, you know, what my hope would be, honestly, that, yeah, he does kind of uh, come back to earth a little bit in these next couple stars because he wasn't perfect. Like I saw Josh Larkey posted a great thread kind of going over his like success rate and stuff, kind of his play to play and consistency, which does not surprise me. But to me, I wouldn't even look at it from that lens. Like rookie quarterbacks are almost always awful. Quarterbacks with his mm-hmm. profile I would have expected to be especially uh, to especially struggle. So, you know, I think more good than bad. And I would pay mid first might be a little steep, but I think it's probably fair. I would definitely pay a late first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think honestly, like especially if you got quarterback problems. Um, there's a lot of not many quarterbacks around the league right now. Uh, so if you think you got something in Levis, then I don't hate it. And I honestly had a pretty similar take on Levis. I didn't love what I saw on tape, or I, and I didn't love the numbers, uh, stuff I go by when evaluating a prospect. But I, when I watched him, I was like, yeah, it's there. Like if he can pull it together between the ears and play at this level, like all the physical traits uh, are absolutely there. And you saw him like a few of those deep throws. He just kind of like oh man throws it out there and the ball sails 40 yards like he's definitely got that uh, the arm talent is off the charts i mean the touchdown throw was insane and then uh there was one throw that was incomplete i think it might have drawn a dpi but it was like down the right sideline on another play action like it was like a 55 or 60 yard toss i, I mean he's got it's unbelievable like how the not just the arm strength but at least at times the like deep accuracy and touch is unreal um you know that doesn't necessarily seem like it shows up over the intermediate areas and the short areas as consistently um but i mean he can do some absolutely unreal things with the football so i'm not gonna say that uh i'm not gonna rule anything out when you have a guy who can put that down in their first game and like clearly does not lack for confidence those are some (laughs) big boy throws yeah yeah, that was actually another point that I thought was pretty interesting. A lot of the film bros had the take that, you know, he didn't have any pocket presence. He would just get annihilated from the backside all the time. And um, it did show up on tape for sure. And in this game, like he stood in there, he took some hits, but he didn't look panicked at any time. Um, yeah, overall, I, I thought it was a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive debut for Will Levis. And I am interested in seeing, you know, can I, like I feel like there's some spots where people were super down on him after the off season cycle, and maybe like there's a scenario in which an early second gets it done, and I'm definitely buying if I can get it for an early second. I doubt that, just in the sense that you know most people who bought Levis, they would have either got him right at the turn or with all the early two. Sure. So I, I can't imagine anybody doesn't isn't at least looking to profit off of their investment. Um, so I think you probably got to get into the one range, maybe multiple twos, but it kind of depends who you draw. Like, I think there's a lot of people who pick Levis because they like Levis. And there's a lot of people who pick Levis because maybe he slid an extra couple spots and, and they were like, I, I could, I'll go for the quarterback. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. We got Wyatt in here as well. 
Hey there, what? We're going to keep rolling and talk about Sam Howell here. One of my favorites to talk about, a guy that I picked up a bunch of places for basically peanuts this offseason. I just paired him together with Jacoby Brissett in a few places. I didn't have a super strong take that he would hang on to a starting quarterback role all season, but I felt like it was a good enough spot to be in with McLaurin and Dotson and those guys. I had good enough weapons that, you know, if somebody were to perform well, it was a good enough spot that you want to have that quarterback. And especially if you can lock up that quarterback room for the price of a second, I was able to do that in a few spots. Right now he's QB 18 on keep trade cut, but the guy's seventh in completion percentage over expectation and 23rd in epa per dropback yeah. uh, obviously oh, had the huge i bet you can, I bet you, can uh, I bet you can pretty easily pinpoint the, the why there's a 16 yeah uh, <laughs> delta there it's pretty easy to figure it out but uh give me your it's take on sacks. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah he, he is definitely one of those guys who uh, stands in there until he can't stand in there any longer and then just goes down um but give me your take on Howell. I think the biggest concern that I have with Howell is how long can he continue to stand in there and take that many sacks and still be yeah. in a starting role? Like when he's playing and playing in this offense, even uh, it seems like there's some fantasy value there. So how, uh, how much confidence do you have that this is a guy who actually hangs on to a starting role in the league? Not much. Um, I mean, I don't think it's, it's hard because I think he's in the range where like he's clearly interesting enough that like for this year at least, like I would be like, oh yeah, the optimal thing to do would be to keep him in this role because what else are they gonna do? You know, they're not gonna compete. Jacoby Brissett um is fine. He's certainly not like the quarterback of the future. Um and you know, why not find out and see what Howell is and continue developing him because he's clearly shown enough interesting stuff to keep doing that he also has taken so many sacks that like he had this incredible game this week but like prior to this week i was like you know the hook could be coming really at any moment because of all this because of what he you know he's hurting the offense he's frankly like physically hurting himself um and and so i i guess either way i would just kind of understand it if at some point this season or after the offseason they move on i would get it um, if they continue with it, I would get it. I, I think that'd probably even be more optimal. Um, so it's hard to say. I, I don't, I definitely don't want to be like paying firsts for Sam Alex. I think that the value insulation is almost zero. So mm -hmm. I'd be more likely to want to get out. Um, so as long as his value is boosted by just how well he's scoring fantasy wise. But I, I, <laughs> You know, I also don't want to rule out that he just becomes legitimately good. Like, I think that sure. the sacks issue is a massive one. He's currently, I don't think, a net positive NFL quarterback. But that's fine. It's, it's basically his rookie year. And he shows enough potential outside of that massive issue that I do think if he was ever able to solve that or mitigate it, then, you know, we have we have some things, we have something happening there. So, uh yeah, I guess I'm Howell neutral, probably probably maybe shy away at QB18. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. At this point, like, I'm almost viewing him a little bit as, like, a rental if I need one. You know, there's a lot of teams out there that just lost Kirk Cousins um, that needed him for this year. And 
I think Howell's still probably cheap enough that you can kind of characterize him as a QB rental. And I think this game bought him, you know, at least the next, I don't know, three, four starts at the very least, and hopefully some more beyond that. And I'm not ruling out the possibility that he does continue to get better over the back half of the season here in what's essentially his first season as a starter here. So I think if you are acquiring Hal, you just have to be aware that this is definitely a situation where he could just never start again after this year. And that's definitely within the realm of possibilities. At the same time, like this is a league where Desmond Ritter was started for uh, seven games. And we all know how that uh, has gone so far this year. So uh, there's definitely going to be other quarterback jobs out there that uh, I feel like Howell is probably... If not definitely within, then uh, close to the top 32 quarterbacks in the league currently. Yeah, he's in the mix for sure. All right, let's keep going. Let's talk about Kyler Murray, who's supposed to be coming back sometime soon. It sounds like not next week, but uh, beyond that is anybody's guess. Kyler Murray, whenever he's been on the field, has been tremendous for fantasy. He was number seven in points per game amongst all quarterbacks in 2022. Um Right now, he's the QB 11 on keep trade cut, if you want to go by that. What's your thoughts on Kyler Murray? This is a guy that I just kept clicking draft on in the offseason in startups. I Getting him in the early second round in a lot of spots, I saw him go much later than that in startups I wasn't a part of. But um, yeah, definitely crazy. a guy that uh, just seemed like a no-brainer every time I saw his name there in the second round this offseason. Totally agree. Um, you know, that, that was the easy part, you know, because that was like almost no risk. All you got to do is just wait till he plays and then you're guaranteed that you're going to gain value on that asset. Uh, I have always liked, you know, well, I don't know if I actually have always liked Kyler Murray. I think back, back at, there was like a period of time for a while where I think the consensus was like, he's a truly elite real life quarterback, fantasy quarterback. And I always had some concerns about just how high he, he should be valued in terms of as a real life quarterback, especially relative to like a Lamar Jackson. But basically since that's ended, I think it's gone the other way where there's people that think he's like not a good real life quarterback. Um, and that's just silly. He's, he's really always either been an average or far better at times um, quarterback. And I think he'll probably continue to be, whether that's in Arizona long-term or somewhere else. Um, you know, we just talked about it, you know, about the idea of, oh, there's only you know, there's, there's 32 jobs. You have to be one of the best 32. Like, I don't think Kyler is anywhere close to falling out of the best 32 quarterbacks, right? Right. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, he continues to be a strong buy, uh, although I imagine the discount's fading by the day. Yeah. yeah I definitely agree with that. Uh, the, yeah, the, the acquiring window is definitely going away at this point. Do have some teams that could definitely use his services coming back. So I hope he does make his way back sooner rather than later. What's your thoughts on, obviously we're seeing Joshua Dobbs have a pretty solid season, all things told for the Cardinals. Do you think that that's a net positive? Like, do you think that Kyler Murray could come back and with his skill set in this offense, actually kind of take this offense to another level and be like, you know, maybe even a like, is top five fantasy quarterback the rest of the way out of the realm of possibility? Uh, probably depends on how he looks health wise. You know, if he looks, if sure. he's back to the Kyler Murray we've generally seen, um, then absolutely that's, that's in the cards for him. That's always in the cards for him. But um, he definitely does have, uh, you know, health concerns. We'll see how he looks off the ACL. Uh, but I, I really like their coordinator. Like I thought Drew Petzig did a fantastic job with Jacoby Brissett last year, coordinating mm -hmm. like a very functional offense um, despite 
you know, clearly bottom tier quarterback play among starters. And then, you know, this year, like the fact that they've even gotten a competent offense, like whatsoever, featuring Josh Dobbs and a bunch of goober running backs. And like basically Marquise Brown is like the only NFL starting wide receiver they have. And he's probably more of a good two. So it, I've been impressed with everything the Cardinals coaching staff has done. I think Kyler's going to have a nice opportunity. You know, he, he also inherits pretty bad weapons group, but um, especially long-term, if they're able to, you know, build around him and draft a top wide receiver, that's a really, you know, fun position to be in. I, I actually, I really do believe in this coaching staff. I know people don't like Gannon. I've, I've always been a fan of him um, as, as a guy, especially from a fantasy perspective, who has always been very like analytics focused and how he's, sees the game and talks about the game. So if you want to invest in an offense, like even as much as people make fun of Staley, like generally it's been a very favorable environment for fantasy production. So mm-hmm. um, I think the Cardinals is a place we, we want to be, we want to be living in. For sure. TD is in here, says Hollywood seems like a buy. Uh, I think probably that window is past like the best window anyway, uh, to buy Hollywood if you're going to do that. Cause I think that everybody's going to be, thinking that at this point that uh, with Kyler back that Hollywood could be a buy. Definitely, I think you could see a scenario like Hollywood has obviously continued to draw targets uh, in that offense, but you could see a scenario in which his ADOT goes up and he just starts to actually produce uh, more meaningful results for fantasy purposes. Wyatt's asking, y'all think Joshua Dobbs being benched means a trade is imminent? Uh, yeah, could no Dobbs idea. go somewhere else? Um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's fair. Like, <laughs> we're gonna find I'm out trying to th- I'm trying to think of like somewhere where he could go Minnesota that I would actually. Obvious. Yeah, just based on the cousins' injury. Um, yeah, maybe Atlanta if they're really done with Ritter now. Uh, those are the only two that really come to mind, I guess. But yeah, I, I don't know that Atlanta doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if they if they don't want to start Ritter anymore, they they have Heineke. Like, I don't think they're gonna for josh dobbs um minnesota i think is well rams rams would make sense sure yep all right well let's keep rolling and talk about some running backs here um this time of year like we get to this kind of midpoint of the season and this is where i start to take a look around and see which running backs might be emerging and might be somebody that i can snag for pretty cheap and put some running back production onto my rosters my contending rosters and gus edwards is a guy who's obviously coming off a pretty big day here he's rb48 on keep trade cut he's definitely not a guy who's really ever moved the needle for us much but with the jk dobbins injury he's getting pretty solid usage at this point in time and i had I'm kind of wondering what the price to acquire is. I'm wondering if, like, you probably can't get him for a third anymore, which is the issue. Are you willing to go up and pay a second just, just, for Gus just, Edwards? Just get him for a third the next time he has 2.8 points. Like, him yeah. you know, him and Deontay <laughs> Foreman are, like, literally the exact same guy. They do the exact same thing every year, which is they have no value. Then they enter somewhere as, like, the number two or the number three in the death chart. Somehow, every year, the starter in front of them gets hurt. And then they're just massive front-runner running backs like if the team is up ahead they're going to get 20 to 25 carries they're going to get goal line opportunities you're going to see these really efficient multiple touchdown games because they are legitimately good peer rushers and they are zero dimensional outside of that so if as soon as the team falls behind or if it's just not the game plan or the matchup that week then the next week it's going to be like oh they've had a 28 percent snap share and they went eight for <laughs> 21 and zero like 
how can I start this bomb? So like you're just going to get this massive swing week to week on Edwards and the same has gone for Foreman in the past. Um, and so, no, don't buy Gus Edwards after his big games. If you want to buy him, buy him after his crappy games. Like his role is going to change a lot week to week based on what happens in the game, but it's not going to change from like a macro level. Like I don't think people should read into each week's fluctuations as like a statement on what the Ravens think about him. It's just like a game script and um, it's, it's a game script and matchup dependent fluctuation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Uh, I do think this is a guy like, if you can find him off a bad game and get him for a third, then there are going to be matchups where you feel pretty confident about playing Gus Edwards like this matchup uh, this past week against Arizona. So I do think that that's uh, a potential play. And I think there's going to be some selling teams that are like, ah, oh, man, this guy's putting up points and I'm really trying to tank for Caleb Williams and Gus Edwards is kind of ruining that for me. So maybe there's a situation where you have kind of crossing paths and you can you can get somebody for cheap who you can plug into a few running backs starts down the stretch. You're a tanking team and you haven't traded or dropped Gus Edwards by now. I mean, come on. (laughs) For sure. All right. Let's keep rolling and talk about Javante Williams, RB18 on keep trade cut, 22nd in the league in weighted opportunities per game, but had 30 touches versus Kansas City and a surprising Broncos win there. Um, Do you have any interest in Javante Williams? Obviously, this is a guy who's gone from dynasty fantasy darling to uh, now it seems like he's in a split backfield with Samaj P. Ryan to now he's in a split backfield with Jaleel McLaughlin to what do we make of this latest development with the 30-touch game? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting spot in that his role in terms of his running back usage share is not great. But then his role in terms of what happens overall can be really great. Like it's clear Sean Payton has just no confidence or interest in working with Russell Wilson at this point. So like if they're able to, they're just going to use the running backs constantly. They're going to run the ball every play. And if they're not running the ball, they're throwing a screen to the running backs. So they're like running back usage rate is off the charts. Um, And so anytime they're able to be in a game, like they were the last two weeks, like you're going to see massive usage for Javante and he's kind of their, you know, bell cow grinded out back. And then there's going to be games where they're going to play from behind, which will be more of their games, uh, probably, where you're going to look up and be like, oh, he's in a 50, he's like in a 40, 40, 20 with Jaleel and Pirine, and he's not playing in the pass downs. He's not getting all the rushes. So I think he's going to be a very volatile asset the rest of this year. Um, you know, you'd hope going in, like looking forward, that they look at this and they're like, okay, Williams is back to health. He looked pretty good at the last few weeks, which is very encouraging for him. I think they really have something in Julian McLaughlin, but he's not, you know, going to be like a workhorse back or anything. And ideally, they eventually just like don't feel the need for the separate Pirine role anymore. And they learn mm-hmm. to trust one of those guys on long down and distance situations. And you're able to work into like a 65-35 in a Sean Payton running back fueled offense for the foreseeable future. And if that happens, you're in a really good spot as a Javante Williams manager. So, um, yeah, I was pretty out on him in Dynasty with the injury concerns and the backfield split concerns relative to redraft where I thought he was just way more affordably priced. Um, But he looks like someone that, that is really trending upwards. Yeah. I think there's an interesting point here. If you do believe that Javante is the plan moving forward and Russell Wilson's not the plan, um, then yeah, like you're saying, then Javante could be come basically the focal point of this offense. And 
you know, it really depends on the quarterback. What are you willing to pay for a running back in a situation where you don't know who the quarterback's going to be and you don't know what that offense might look like? Obviously, the wide receivers in Denver have not exactly lit the world on fire this year. We think we might have something with Marvin Mims, but Peyton refuses to play him, so we'll never know. So all those factors really combine to kind of confound Javante's value in my mind. I've just kind of been defaulting to a hold position where I have him and not really sending out anything to try to go get him anywhere. I think most managers are feeling the same thing right now. Probably true, yeah. All right, let's talk about Jonathan Taylor, who's slipped down to RB8. Obviously, a couple of seasons ago, everybody was all aboard the JT RB1 train. Now, not so much. And the emergence of Zach Moss has thrown a little bit of a wrench into his production, at the very least. Um, do you think that Moss has any long-term effects on JT? Does that mean that JT's a buy right now for you? What's the, what's the take on JT here? Yeah, I gotta say I don't I don't uh, follow um, Chief Trade Cop very closely in season. So to have him at RB eight is honestly quite surprising to me. I'm I'm very yeah. curious who the seven are in front of him. Um, I I think that that's far too low. Like to me, it is a pretty obvious one and a pretty obvious two. Um, but after that, I really think you can make uh, a case for Taylor as high as third. And I I would struggle to put him lower than I guess maybe sixth or seventh. Um, so I'm definitely buying uh, Taylor for sure. I don't, I mean, the Sack Moss, he's played well and it's impressive, but you like the last couple of weeks, Taylor has, you know, looked definitely more impressive. We saw two weeks ago, he was the running back who got a much higher share of the touches when he was on the field. This week, he eventually um, does take a clear lead in touches. Um, so I think ultimately Taylor's a pretty strong buy right now where you look at the commitment from the team you look at the talent profile of the player, there's really only one direction this usage can go. Yeah, there was some discussion this offseason that I heard that, you know, Anthony Richardson could actually be like a net positive for Jonathan Taylor as uh, as a fantasy asset. I'm curious about your thoughts. Like, obviously, if you're buying Taylor, you're buying him with the expectation that he's going to be a long-term player on your team. So going into next year with the Anthony Richardson-led offense here, do you think that Taylor has a ceiling to get back to those, you know, top five RB finishes that we had from him in previous seasons? Is that something you're anticipating? Yeah, I mean, the Richardson thing, I think, is a negative overall, but not as much of a negative as I thought it would be. Um, like, it'll, I mean, their running game is going to be incredibly efficient. So that's, that'll help. And their offensive line is really back to health. They found some guys too in the draft the last couple of years. So he'll be, you know, he's going to be averaging over five yards a carry, I think, for the majority of this contract that he just signed. Uh, the, the tough part with Richardson is it's, it's going to hurt their check down rate. Like I think with Gardner Minshew is really where, one, right. if he's able to get up to that workhorse snap rate while Minshew is there, I think that's where we see him truly explode. Um, but they play so fast under Shane Steichen and Richardson looked at least competent enough that I have a pretty um, decent degree of confidence that, you know, maybe, maybe we don't get like the 23 plus point per game ceiling that you can envision out of some running backs. But I think like in that 18 to 22 range, I think ultimately is where he lives if he's healthy over the next couple of seasons. I would absolutely agree. So just to go to that keep trade cut, uh, I was surprised by that number too. I, I pull it up just to have some sort of baseline for um, general popular opinion, but uh, it's Bijan 1, CMC 2, Brees Hall 3, and then it's ETN, Kenneth Walker. Brees Hall not um, being in the top two is insane. I would agree with that. 
uh, Devon, Achan, and Jameer Gibbs round out the seven above. Yeah, Walker would be the one I would, I think, would I would kick out there. That's fair. All right, let's keep rolling. I want to talk just briefly about James Cook. This is a guy that JWB as a whole has kind of been out on uh, pretty consistently. Had a nice receiving profile. Um, I said he was the best receiver in his class as a running back, and but I was always pretty concerned just given the size and uh, what he did at Georgia. He was never really asked to carry a load in terms of a rushing share. Right. It seems like he's getting a pretty pretty decent share, except for obviously uh, all the touches that really matter for scoring fantasy points, which is why at this point he's 26th in PPR points per game, still holding on to RB16 on keep trade cut, which was really surprising to me. And I think like for myself, that's a clear sell. I don't have Cook anywhere. I, I drafted him in a few spots where he fell and then immediately flipped him for future first at the time. So I don't have cook anywhere to make this deal but i mean if you can still get rb16 prices for james cook i think i'd be selling how about you jacob this strikes me as like some kind of anchoring effect situation where he kind of started the year really hot and i think that that's led to people thinking that he's still having a really good season Mm -hmm. um but it's really kind of gone downhill since then in terms of his role he's basically in a 55 45 snap share with latavius murray he gets some far higher share of the touches than latavius murray but like you said, he doesn't really get all that many high value touches. He is usually option number two at the goal line. And he doesn't really play in comeback mode passing situations either. They they use him in the passing game on early downs. Like they like scheming the ball into his hands. Absolutely. They value him as a playmaker. But when the time comes to just drop back and pass, if their plan is we're going to drop back and pass to Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis and whoever else, they would usually rather have Latavius Murray there pass protecting and running little outlet routes than James Cook. Um, I think from an NFL perspective, it's smart how they're using him. I think that they've really optimized a lot of their run game around what he does best. And I think that they've looked at it and said, why are we, why would we put this player in a, in positions that he can't help us? We're going to put him in the positions that he can help us. And we're going to let, we're going to allow him to let us stay flexible, you know, between what are we going to do run or pass when that helps us. But if we're at the one yard line, it doesn't really benefit us to be like, we have James Cook, we could do anything. If you're at the, if it's third and 12, you know, what's the point, right? Yeah. So I think that they're doing this optimally. Um, it's not great for fantasy, uh, for sure. And um, yeah, that's that's probably where I'm at with it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Just four targets in his last three games here. Like your thesis is that this is a receiving running back and definitely he's been efficient on the ground, but you're still looking at a guy who's yeah, topping out 14, 13, 14 attempts last few games. If he's not getting the targets and the receptions, then, you know, at the end of the day, you're just not going to be moving the needle at running back. And there's just a thousand other running backs that you can get at much lower prices. Let's talk about some wide receivers at this point. Uh, I'm pretty sure I recall some off-season content where you decried some love for Nico Collins. So I want to let you take this away. He's obviously been pretty solid, number 18 in the league in PPR points per game so far. Talk to me about Nico Collins. What had you on Nico Collins? And uh, what do you see for him moving forward with the obvious uh, quarterback upgrade here with CJ Stroud? Yeah, what I saw with Nico Collins this offseason like wasn't even necessarily a player that I loved, but there's basically two types of sleeper wide receivers that get hyped usually in the fantasy community. There's either the, hey, this guy's going to run all the routes on this bad depth chart sleeper, 
or there's the, hey, this guy had this like fancy per route stuff if you splice the numbers and now they're going to run more of them maybe sleeper. And Nico Collins was kind of both. Like he <laughs> had like a full, like I call him a 20-30 player, which means 20% targets per route run, 30% um, air yard share, um, which is like, it's not incredible, but that's a pretty strong number. When you start to look into the wide receivers who do that on fairly full snap shares, like you're getting into Mike Williams and T Higgins, you're getting into, you know, kind of prime Cortland Sutton. That's kind of the range of player that we're talking about. And that kind of fits with the Nico Collins archetype. And then, you know, we look at this situation. It was like, Hey, the depth chart is barren, but not only is it barren, you get this massive quarterback upgrade possibly, right? Maybe Stroud, it was like, maybe Stroud's bad, but like their previous quarterbacks had zero upside and Stroud certainly has upside. Mm -hmm. So all of this was pretty encouraging to me as sort of like a, he's not even priced like he's going to break out. So like at the very least, you're kind of just getting like a, sure, this guy will, you know, have nine targets, five catches and 60 yards every week. And it'll be like no harm, no foul, but maybe off chance um, that, you know, he's actually, he progresses. And then that Stroud kind of helps everybody progress. Like now all of a sudden we're cooking with gas here. So uh, I, I got very excited about, Nico Collins is especially a best ball pick. I guess I wish I got even a little bit more excited on him as a dynasty asset. Now I think he's pretty legit. Like, I mean, the PFF stuff is unreal. The efficiency is there. He seems to have truly leveled up as a player alongside Stroud or getting this compounded effect. So uh, I think he's like a base first type of player, you know, kind of like a mid first type valuation for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like Dell too, a lot. I like both those weapons in Houston. Yeah, and that's actually kind of the part that feels like a little bit of insulation almost in a way is that they it does seem like they have a couple of players there now that they can feel a little bit confident in, that they have a couple of pieces, and they don't necessarily need to go out and make a big splash uh, this offseason and you know sign somebody who might demand a bunch of targets back from Nico Collins. So I think he's got a little bit of insulation. He's building himself, obviously, some great rapport with the new quarterback. We like what we see out of C.J. Stroud. Everything is uh, oh. Green lights um, for CJ Stroud. He's everything you want as a investor in their pass catchers, right? Like it's not yeah. only he's he seems like a really good quarterback and he doesn't run. So <laughs> it's like it's just green lights, you know. It's every time he steps back to pass, the ball is going somewhere. And I agree with you. It's it's great to have Dell there. I, I don't think that they really seriously invest in the receiver position in the sense like you see Nico and Dell have, have really been smashes for what they could have expected, and they don't have a first round pick this year. So mm-hmm. You know, realistically, it's like, what are they going to add to this room? Um, maybe they spend a second or a third round pick on a receiver. Okay, that's fine. That's not overly threatening. Maybe they add a free agent, but you know, as well as anyone, that free agent wide receivers are not usually, uh, you know, particularly strong batch. So in terms of a team this offseason, I would have thought would have been a prime candidate to either try and trade up into the first round for a receiver, maybe make that trade for T Higgins or something like that. I think now they look at their team and they're like, okay, we actually have two really good young receivers. We don't really have that many assets. If we're going to try and devote resources, probably devote it to offensive line and defense before receiver, I think in the priority list. Yep. Absolutely agree there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Josh Downs as well. Somebody who's been constantly climbing up ranks. Yeah. What a sweet player. 
yeah, definitely a guy that uh, I targeted. I I targeted him uh, above a lot of the other uh, kind of early second round receivers. Uh, for the first couple of weeks, that didn't look so smart, and now it's starting to look pretty smart. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty happy about my Josh Downs exposure. And yeah, now we've got a situation where for this season, you know, Gardner Minshew's there, and he's targeting the heck out of Josh Downs. You feel like you actually have a baseline here where you think that Anthony Richardson, okay, this thing might actually work. And so you, again, got a pretty, um, um, yeah, just binary passing attack almost with Michael Pittman and Josh Downs for the foreseeable future. And that's something that I feel like I can get a little bit excited about. And so, yeah, I'm pretty bullish on Josh Downs. I think this is for real. I thought he was a good player coming out. Um, the metrics were all there and the eye test matched up for me. So I'm pretty excited about Josh Downs. Um, what's your take on Downs? Are you, has he moved really for you in, from pre-draft to now? Uh, what's your uh, feeling on the situation? Yeah, um, I think he's a fantastic ad. Like as a Colts fan, I'm beyond psyched that we got him in the freaking third round. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I guess like, the way I've always thought about Downs the whole time till now was like, oh, he's like a cute little player um, that's going to be nice in real life. And I don't really know what the ceiling is in fantasy. So I've just been more drawn to making other bets that I see as a little higher ceiling. My issue for that was just he's primarily been a slot player. So I felt like he would have had to been truly outstanding to push Alec Pierce out of routes. And he like still hasn't done that despite being way better than Alec Pierce this whole mm-hmm. season. Uh, it's definitely at the point now where I'm like, okay, this is going to happen eventually. But I think it does kind of dictate just how high of a hill that was to climb was that like, he's been arguably the best wide receiver on the team. He's still clearly third in routes. Um, and then also I was anticipating a pretty low volume, Anthony Richardson passing attack without any idea if Anthony Richardson would be good. I still think you have volume concerns with Richardson over the long term, mm-hmm. but I do I think that some of those like pass rate concerns can get offset with just overall play volume. And the Colts are going to run so many freaking plays. Like mm-hmm. I, I assume this sticks, like there's no reason to think it wouldn't Philly played pretty fast with Steichen, but they've gone up a level this year. Like they are, they're running the fastest offense in the NFL by a mile. The fact that they're running over 70 plays per game half the time while having a massively negative pass rate over expectation is almost impossible to combine. If you just think about it, like mm-hmm. how do you run more plays? The clock has to stop a lot. Their clock yeah. does not stop very often because they're running the ball a ton. So it's simply a matter of they get up to the ball and snap it way faster than anybody else. It's like kind of bringing back like the Cliff Kingsbury, the Chip Kelly style of offense with mm-hmm. how quick they're operating. Um, and that's just a massive boost to anyone that you're investing in in this offense because it helps really obscure some of the pass rate concerns. So if you're talking about, you know, and it helps obscure things like Zach Moss taking carries, like any of these issues can all kind of, you have a lot more margin for error when you're running 75 plays yeah. in a football game. So uh, Downs, Pittman, um, Taylor, like I, I would just be buying honestly, like every member of the Colts um, right now, um, looking long-term at this situation. Yeah. And the interesting part of that too, is if you feel like that's something that's going to stick and you feel pretty confident that that's like this coaching staff and that's just how they're going to play the game, like from this point onward. And if that's your base rate expectation, then what if then the pass rate comes even back a little bit higher? And then now like, now you've really got some strong volume, right? You get both the, uh, both the, 
plays per game plus the pass rate comes back and normalizes a little bit more and then you might actually get to a point where it's just a massive overall win so it feels like a pretty safe bet to make with also some contingent upside in that regard yeah absolutely all right. Another guy I want to shout out here. It feels like a little bit of a lost season for Garrett Wilson, but he's still chugging around, chugging along with 24th. He's doing uh, everything that know. he can do. Exactly. 24th <laughs> in the league in PPR points per game with Zach Wilson. First in the league in target It's, it's going to be the most impressive like, wide receiver 24 finish of all time. <laughs> That's pretty much how I feel. So he's wide receiver seven on keep trade cut rate right now apparently and i'm just wondering how many like how much how high is he going to go as soon as the season is over that's my question is i feel like seven is the absolute floor for garrett wilson here and i'm wondering if this isn't like the last chance to buy at a semi-reasonable price before he's just forever locked into that god tier yeah for me there's really is five guys that you can put between three and seven and any of those any order of them is like mostly inoffensive to me um, I think Garrett Wilson is the best player of that group um, just based off of he's the guy I think that can combine, you know, being that three level player where he is a true deep threat. He's an intermediate volume target hog and he has that yards after catch ability. So I think he is the guy where to me, if anyone is to ever ascend from this group of, you know, great wide receivers after chase and Jefferson are gone and actually be in that triad with chase and Jefferson. I do think it's Garrett Wilson. He's going to need a quarterback like security long-term to accomplish that. And I don't know what's going to happen. You know, presumably Aaron Rodgers is quarterback next year and who knows what Aaron Rodgers will have in store at that point, but it's going to be a lot, the worst possible Aaron Rodgers season is going to be so much better than this Zach Wilson season. So uh, I'll still take it. And uh, yeah, I, I would be, I mean, if you have a team that is not intent on winning this year and you haven't already tried to go get Garrett Wilson on it, um, you know, I think you're missing out on an opportunity and I'm perfectly happy taking Garrett Wilson, even on winning teams. Like he's powering through, man. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> he's getting a lot of these eight for 80 games where it's like he did everything in his power to, to <laughs> turn out a high end wide receiver two week. Like, he's special he's just he's one of my favorite players to watch in the entire nfl i i think I, i'm gonna make this like a tweet later this week because i i thought of it during the sunday night game um the jets are like unironically one of my favorite teams to watch in the whole league which seems absurd because they're like painful to watch in many ways mm-hmm. but like do you ever just like get really high and then put a video game on a difficulty, you know, you can't beat, but just like, try it just for fun. (laughs) Like to me, that's like, to me, that's watching Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, like have to play (laughs) football on like deity mode every single week where it's like, these guys are so good, but they're put in just such horrendous positions and failed so constantly by their quarterback and the (laughs) offensive line that it's like, Let's see. Let's see if they can do it this week. Like it's just like a fun little challenge to be like, you know, play football with a hand tied behind your back. And they do it more often than not. They've won more games than they've lost, despite like by a mile the league worst quarterback play. If if Zach Wilson, I don't know what the I don't know what the stats say. I don't even care. If Desmond Ritter had swapped onto the Jets for Zach Wilson right now, this offense would be infinitely better. Yeah, it's very true. Can't can't dispute anything you said there. I love that. 
We'll look for that tweet for sure. Uh, one more wide receiver that I did want to talk about is Gabe Davis. Because um, it kind of feels like we got a little bit of a post-hype thing here with Gabe Davis, and he's going a little bit unnoticed. 33 in PPR points per game. Wide receiver 43 on keep trade cut. He's never obviously going to be an alpha or anything like that with Steph Diggs in town. But, you know, it's the Bills. They're going to throw the ball. They're going to drop back, like you said, when talking about Cook. When they drop mm. back, they're going to go to Diggs. If Diggs isn't open, they go to Davis, and that's uh, kind of the offense right now. Uh, Kincaid working his way in there as of late, and i like to see that. But I feel like Gabe Davis um, might be a sneaky little buy, and I wonder if he's playing himself into this long-term role that many thought last year he was going to be into, and then it felt like a step back. But this year, it seems like he's doing it, and nobody's given him his flowers for it. Yeah, the Gabe Davis conversation was always weird. Like, he's not actually, I don't think, that interesting of a player to discuss in fantasy. I don't think he was even that interesting of a player to discuss in fantasy last year. Like, I, mm-hmm. I wrote this whole column about Gabe Davis because I was like, you know, he, he was so divisive. It was like, everybody needs to have a call yeah. on Gabe Davis. Basically, my take was like, he's actually has a reasonably high floor in the sense that we kind of know he's going to run a million routes. And he's going to get a bunch of downfield routes. Um, and he's going to be in a good offense. And he probably doesn't really have that high of a ceiling because he's probably not going to drive volume at that high of a way. So it's like, he's probably going to be pretty volatile week to week. But from like a what's his range of outcomes season long perspective, like it's probably actually tighter than most other young players. Um and this year, it seems like he's running a little hotter um, than he did last year. You know, he's playing healthier. Um, some of their, like, goofy 10 personnel shit, I think, helps him. Or 12 personnel shit, because it, like, just puts, like, worse players around him. Um, mm-hmm. So there's no, you know, slot wide receiver able to draw that volume. Um, yeah, I think he's, with, with his price this year, it was totally fine. Like, you play in yeah. a start, if you play in, like, a dynasty best ball league, or you play in, like, a start 11 league, where yeah. you're always, you know, like he's a, he's a fine asset to have because you just put him in your lineup every week and you don't really think about it. And then, you know, what happens, what happens? He'll have some twos this week. He'll have a 25 the next week, and it's totally fine. Um, in like a start nine dynasty league, pretty useless. But yeah. um, the deeper the league is or if it's best ball format, you know, he's a totally viable piece. And I think he's, you know, who knows what his future is with the Bills, this, what his fourth year, right? Yeah. So he's due for a contract. He seems exactly like the kind of player who would get overpaid. And I think the Bills probably let him move on. Um, but I think he's like a long-term NFL player. You know, he has a skill set. He's a downfield player. He's a great run blocker. Um, and he can, you know, he can make plays. I, I love to use them pretty interestingly in this um, uh, Thursday night game. They ran him as like a big slot a couple times on some mm-hmm. RPO slants. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. yeah it'd definitely be interesting to see if he can add a little bit more to the repertoire but overall i just think yeah exactly what you said actually like that's where i have them in a couple spots is in a best ball dynasty uh, setup and that was exactly my thought process was there's he's gonna have these weeks where he's gonna like really elevate this squad and the other weeks like it just doesn't matter so that's definitely the the best place to have some gabe davis in your lineups uh, I actually do want to squeeze in a couple more wide receivers here. We'll kind of compare and contrast a little bit. So we have DeAndre Hopkins, who obviously comes off the big game with Will Levis here. And we have Keenan Allen. Both of these guys way up there in target share, in yards per team pass attempts, all these good metrics that we like to see. Uh, both obviously elder statesmen of the wide receiver position. And so in dynasty, they're not going to cost you an arm and a leg to go get. Do you have a favorite to acquire at this current point? 
if you go by keep trade cut uh, for what it's worth, they have Hopkins at 58, wide receiver 58, and Keenan Allen yeah, at 26. Cut is never kind mm. to the veterans. I don't find that that's actually reality though, because like yeah. the reality is, is most of those players at this point in time, this this is just a universal take. I'm buying all like any of these guys are are team and situation dependent. If you need points, this is the most cost effective way to do it. So I'm all in favor of it. But realistically, you're not targeting players. You're targeting managers. Like you're you're looking at who's struggling, who either who's struggling in your league or who just has like more depth than they need in your league and is willing to trade it, and which is the one that they have available. And then you're you're going to try and negotiate on that guy. Like you're, there's probably not much of a point in, you know, I'm going to send a bunch of DeAndre Hopkins offers today. It's like, right. you know, it all just depends. So go see if you need a depth why you know flex option to go and buttress up your lineup go check the bottom four teams in your league standings and who who do they have you know is there a tyler lockett managers there are hopkins managers there are keenan allen managers there are whoever managed kobe myers marquise brown go down the list of like age 27 to 30 wide receivers um and just pick the manager who would be most amenable to selling at the lowest price that's actually an interesting thought that's coming to me and something I've been thinking about even more this year. Like we've seen, I think this off season, all the young guys really got steamed up. I mean, that happens to some extent. Every single off season, the young guys get steamed up. The old guys get uh, reduced in price. But we were really seeing like terrific seasons from these older players, the guys who are actually really good, like the Steph Diggs, um, obviously what Tyreek's done this year. There's just so much of that. Keenan Allen uh, as well fits into that. So I'm starting to wonder, like, guys like uh, Chris Godwin come to mind. He's definitely not at that level. But there's a lot of these wide receivers that as soon as they hit 27, uh, the dynasty market just totally gets off. And I still feel like I'm getting three years out of this guy, and I already know what he is. Like, why am I paying equal or even in a lot of cases more for a receiver who, you know, it's just a little bit of, oh, he might might even be just as good as Chris Godwin is going to be for the next three years. But I got to pay more to find out if he is. And we're much less sure i actually think it's totally rational you know i think you're the the way to hit massively from a value perspective is to you know land on one of these younger guys who ends up having a breakout season and you just massively increase the value of your dynasty team and you know that's never going to happen investing in a tyler lockett or a or you know or although even all the way down to the chris goblins or terry mcflorens or whatever else it's just very hard to have that kind of value boost you're buying a production boost. I think it's like also known that like, yeah, if you invest in that tier of dynasty or in that tier of asset and dynasty, like you're on average, you're, you're going to have more points. Um, but the question is like, do these guys then raise a ton in value getting into a few weeks into the season? Usually not. So I'd still rather take my shots at some of the home run swings in the off season. And then as needed, just kind of trade for some of those veterans in season. Once I know what my team is a little bit more, and there's probably less prospect of like a massive value rise. So I'm all in for getting some of the dusty olds. Um, I probably roster more of like the actually old players than like that mid range of McLaurin and Godwin and that type of like still kind of lingers around the late one in value. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just cause I think that generally you get kind of a higher caliber of bet um, at that range. But certainly at this point in time in the season, I'm happy to, to go and invest in those guys because oftentimes you can still do so pretty affordably. For sure. 
All right, I want to talk about just one tight end. We don't need to spend a lot of time on tight ends in any of these shows, but Trey McBride had himself a, a pretty nice game here. Um, I don't know what to expect, but we did talk about this Arizona Cardinals offense, what it could be, um, the fact that it might be a little bit better than a lot of people are giving it credit for. McBride actually had a pretty solid profile coming out, was pretty widely regarded as a decent uh, fantasy and NFL prospect and has now one game under his belt where he looks like a pretty decent fantasy asset. Uh, again, we talk about it with Will Levis. Uh, if you're going to make a move, you should make a move based off a one-game sample here, I think, because there's a chance it goes uh, pretty high after this. If he has one more good game, then people are going to be like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is it, and you're never going to get him. So if you are going out to get Trey McBride, I think this is the time. Are you falling into that camp, or are you just willing to be off on McBride? Um, I, I think McBride is, is, is like legitimately interesting. Um, I wish that I had kind of, I don't know, I guess predicted the Zachary century coming. Like I was pretty into McBride going into this season. And then when it was like, really, you still can't beat out Zachary. Um, right. So, but it seems like it's legit. I, you know, I think sometimes these tight ends that end up kind of collecting a lot of underneath volume from bad quarterbacks, it's like kind of a short term matchup dependent deal where yeah. you know you'll see these games where it's like mcbride has 12 targets you know cole Komet had like 10 catches this week and then the next week it's like oh how come they're not featured in the game plan it's like well they're never really featured that's your game plan coming in is never throw eight yard stick routes to the tight end yeah um 10 times it's just sometimes that's what your life ends up being in the fourth quarter so i do tend to think like he might be at this point in time basically at this point in time all his best games have been as an inferior goods player where like the offense is non-functional and he's just feasting on the non-functionality. Uh, I'll probably be more willing to buy him as a legit breakout if and when he's like adding real life value at the same time that he's adding fantasy value. And he's, you know, really a dynamic option and not just kind of cleaning up the trash underneath on drag routes. So we'll see. It's interesting for sure. But I do think sometimes you get a young player like this who hasn't actually been that efficient or impressive for most of his career, has this kind of breakout game. But these games do happen from time to time for all tight ends. Yep. Yeah, I definitely agree uh, with that sentiment. Overall, like with tight ends, like either I feel like I'm going to pay for the elite guys or I'm just going to piece it oh, together. Man. <laughs> we got to update on the game. Uh, yeah, that was that was a sick ass run <laughs> um, that was right. if anybody's uh not watching live it was first carry of the third quarter he got like a draw play and he's gonna get about 10 yards easy and then he gets absolutely met shakes a tackle spin moves out of another tackle breaks a third tackle uh powers through a fourth tackle fifth guy gets him down after about 30 yards it was unreal all right. That looks good for some of my dynasty shares there too. So I'm happy yeah. to hear that one. That was the best well, one of the season easily. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll get you out of here, Jacob. But before we do, I want to make sure give you a chance. Uh, tell people about thinking about thinking and everything else you got going on. Yeah, man. You can find my work up on thinking about thinking, uh, jacobsanderson.substack.com. Um, I think two articles out this week. Um, I'll have my usual Sunday drive column. On the running back stuff that I'll probably get started writing on as soon as I'm uh, off this show. 
And then I will have a, a standalone piece as well on uh, reasons to trade in Dynasty um, that uh, I'm about 80%. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're going to watch this after you go. And anyone who's already, anyone who's listening to this will know exactly what that was. Derek Goff <laughs> just threw the funniest fucking pick six I've ever seen like in my life. Um, so that was awesome to end the show on. Uh, I'm going to watch the rest of this game so that I don't ruin the podcast by <laughs> making fun of Jared Goff anymore, but that was hilarious. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. For myself, you can find me on Twitter if you want to talk ball anytime at Nathan GN. You can find everything JWB at JWB underscore FF or on the website JWBFantasyFootball.com. That's going to be it, folks. Much love.